Awesome. Well, good afternoon. How about good morning? All right, there we go. It'll be afternoon before we know it. I'm glad you're here today. I am so excited about what God has for me to share with you. I hope you're excited to receive it. Please take your Bibles with me today as we talk about growing in godliness together as the body of Jesus Christ. Today we're in Titus chapter 1, and today we're going to see how Titus is going to start to outwork the plan that Paul has given him in order that the people on the island of Crete may become godly followers of Jesus Christ. So, Titus chapter 1. And we're going to be looking in verses uh, 5 through 9 together. So if you have your Bibles, please, Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. And I just want to say before we start reading, Tony caught me off guard too. Uh, I, I was in an attitude of worship when he said, and we're done. And I'm like, we're done? And so thank you, Tony, for stepping back in there and keep going, man, because I like the worship too. And I just want to enjoy the worship as well, so... I was, I was in that moment, so thank you guys. Here we go. Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, Paul tells him, so that you might put what remained into order, if you will. Titus, your mission, and you cannot refuse it, is this. Go all over the island of Crete, install qualified leaders in each of the churches, equipping the new believers to live out godly lives of good works in a pagan, godless culture. And... Now I want you to appoint those elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and they're not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Why? For an overseer as God's steward over the household of God must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. But he needs to be hospitable, a lover of what is good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine to others and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Wow, there's a whole bunch here. And it has to do with the leadership over the church of God. Paul is basically saying this, hey, Titus, in this endeavor of growing God's people in a godly way, it begins in the house of God. It begins in the church, and it begins by putting qualified godly leaders in place. Job one, Titus, is to install godly leadership over these churches. Now, this is actually two messages, so don't sweat. And so we're actually going to look at it part of this next week, but today we're only going to focus on just one word. And you're thinking, one word, Pastor Bill, how long can it take you to go on one word? Well, we're about to find out. Today we're only going to look at just this term, the term elders. Within that one word, there is a wealth of information that we, I pray, will find spiritually edifying, but more than that, I pray that we might find it to be perhaps one of the great keys in our homes. Let's pray together. Father, you're amazing. And we are so unworthy to even bow our heads in your presence. 
And yet you invite us into your presence. Come boldly to my throne of grace that you may find grace and mercy to help in times of need is the way you admonish us. And so, Father, we come as, as needy people. Uh, we live in a broken world. And often we just don't do the good or the right. And we just need a lot of grace and mercy and help in our times of need. So, Lord, as we enter into the text today, I pray that you would just speak to us and show us the beauty of your plan. What happens when people step into what you have designed, what you have intended, and to watch how it's meant to impact in, in a beautiful, flourishing way? Father, please speak to us. Holy Spirit, enable us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to look at just one little word, and that is the word elders. Titus, dude, the first thing you have to do in order to get the people of God to become the people they're supposed to be is it requires setting up proper leadership in the churches. So here we go. The word elders is, oh, oh, oh wait a minute. That, that was an elder, by the way. I'm jumping ahead of myself here. How many of you are familiar with this man here? His name is John Maxwell. Ever heard of that gentleman? Yeah. John Maxwell is uh, an author, a speaker, and an evangelical pastor. Uh, for many years, he pastored Skyline Church in San Diego, California. It was a mega church. He left that work in order to do something different in the body of Christ. And today, he is known as a leadership guru. This guy is a leader of leaders. In fact, if you were to go to his uh, LinkedIn page, you would discover that he classifies himself as a leadership expert, the trainer of six million leaders. He has a certification program for coaches, teachers, speakers, and professional, professionals, and he has written dozens of best-selling books that have sold millions and millions of copies. Uh, perhaps a couple of his best-known books are The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership and The 21 Indispensable Qualities of a Leader. So this guy is a leadership guru. This is what this guy does, and he's very amazing at what he does. You know, he's also a very quotable guy. There's something about leadership and sticky phrases that just seem to go hand in hand. If you're really good at what you do, people have an easy time remembering uh, what you teach. So here's some of his famous phrases. Let me see if you've ever heard of them. Here we go. People never care how much you know until they know how much you care. Ever heard of that phrase? Yeah, that's been attributed to uh, our friend here, um, uh, Mr. Uh, Maxwell. Uh, here's another one. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. Ever heard of that one? Yeah, him as well. Here's another one. A leader is the one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. That's cool. I like that one. I thought this was funny, so maybe you don't, but this is cool. He's also attributed with this phrase, he who thinks he leads but has no followers is only taking a walk. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So this guy has had a lot of quotable quotes uh, attached to him, a lot of, a lot of good uh, phrases that have to do with leadership, where perhaps none is quoted more often and none is perhaps more well-known than this phrase, and it is simply this. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Have you ever heard that before? That has been attributed to John Maxwell. And it is what is called a truism. 
It's simply true. You can look at any organization, and if the organization is growing and flourishing, you can look at the leadership structure, and there's a very good chance that the leadership is strong and motivated and has good direction. You can look at it, something else that it is failing and dying and it's ebbing. And you can look at it, and most likely it is due to leadership or lack thereof. That's true in the business world. It's true on Wall Street. It's true in the hallowed halls of Congress. It's true everywhere. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And this is what Paul was trying to help Titus to understand. Hey, Titus, if we're ever going to be successful in this endeavor, it is going to require good, godly, qualified leaders. So, with that in mind, let's tackle our little phrase, elders. The word elders, actually, in the original language, in the Greek, gives us this term, presbyteros, presbyteros. Presbyteros, Presbyterian, Presbyterian. Ever heard of the Presbyterians? Yeah, they get their name from that word. In the original language, Presbyteros refers to elders. And so Presbyterians are those who have an elder form of church government. Hence, that is where they get their name from. So Presbyterians are Presbyteroses. They have an elder form of government. And so what I want to do is I want to take that little word elders, again, the original word is presbyteros, and I just want to kind of unpack it with you over the next few moments. The little word elders, the Greek word presbyteros, as we look at it, uh, refers first to primary church leadership, to the primary church leadership. When the Bible speaks of the church and its leadership, it does use the term elders, and it also uses terms like deacons and evangelists and others. But every time it refers to the primary uh, level of leadership, it is always this idea of the elders, the presbyteroses, or we're going to talk about some synonymous words in just a minute. But when you look in 1 Timothy, so here we have Titus chapter 1. And Titus is a young protege of Paul's in the, uh, on the island of Crete. When you look at Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, you find a correlation to what we're looking at. But in, in uh, 1 Timothy, Timothy was actually in the city of Ephesus in what was a fairly well-developed church. And so in 1 Timothy 3, which is a parallel passage to Titus 1, what you see there in 1 Timothy 3 is he talks about elders. And then he talks about deacons and maybe even deaconesses. So he, he shows layers of leadership there, but here he's only talking elders because the church in, in Ephesus was mature, and so it had depth of structure. These are brand new churches, and so his goal was just to prop up as quickly as he could the best people for the primary level of leadership. And as they matured and grew, then they would add more layers of leadership. So when the Bible uses the term presbyteros or elders, it's always with reference to the primary a level of leadership in God's church. Now, the word elder uh, actually is a carryover from the Jewish uh, structures. In the Jewish synagogue, there were elders who were leaders of the local synagogues. Uh, even over the nation of Israel, there was this body called the 70 elders of the nation, also known as the Sanhedrin, that had responsibility over the nation's affairs. Uh, you would go to a town, any town, and you would discover that the elders of the town would usually be by the gate, and they were the ones who would settle disputes or things because they were considered to be those who were mature and had understanding. So this term elder 
is actually a carryover from the Jewish structure. So, when Jesus Christ died, then rose again, sent his Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 to indwell his people and to start this thing called his church, when it came to building his church, the apostles established churches based upon the same idea of elders, if you will, primary church leadership. So, whenever we find this term, it always refers to the primary level of leadership in the local church. Now, there are a couple of other words that are used synonymously with the term elder. And I just want to list them quickly because what it does is it kind of rounds out for us what an elder really is. And in kind of a really awkward way, what's going to happen in the next few minutes is I'm going to lay out for you who, who an elder is, and at the same time, I'm talking about myself. So that's a little weird. So I'm going to kind of put some stuff out there, and I'm going to do my best to kind of leverage it against who I am because I am an elder. Here at Grace Church, I'm the senior pastor. So, so these things apply directly to me. And uh, as we talk, I, I want you to help me be the best elder I can be. So here we go. The word elder itself, ooh, too fast. The word elder itself, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the term refers to spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Again, not so much a maturity in years, but a maturity in experience and in spiritual growth. Uh, Paul warned Timothy in Timothy 3. Again, this is a parallel portion to Titus 1. He said this, concerning an elder, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So he's warning him, you know, be careful who you set up as elders and spiritual leadership over the body of Christ. You don't just take anybody, no matter how talented they may be, they need to be seasoned, have wisdom and discernment, and be spiritually mature. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 5, he warned Timothy with these words, do not be hasty on, in laying hands on anyone. The New Living Translation, 1 Timothy 5.22 puts it this way, never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Can you imagine why? And you're going to be careful about this stuff because these people in, in over the people of God, they are, the, they are to set the, the standard. They are to be the role models. They are to be the layer of leadership, not perfect, but people who are further down the pathway in Christ-likeness than just everybody else. And so an elder is somebody who, who has character of maturity. Can I just say concerning this? I'm 53, I think that's what I am. I'll have to pull out my license here and kind of check just to make sure. But I think I'm 53. Um, I've been at this thing called pastoring for over 20 years. And uh, as you look at me and as you, you see some, some lacking in this person, all I can say is you are sure fortunate that you didn't get me 20 years ago. When I was starting out in this, man, I was as green as a new stick. I, I just really didn't know what I was doing. I made all kinds of mistakes. People were very gracious, but I was not seasoned. At this point in my journey with Christ, I've learned an awful lot. I, I, have, I, have, I have matured in a lot of ways. I am far from being fully developed. I, I can't wait to see all that God's got in the future for me. But, but as a leader has to be somebody who who has grown and been seasoned by life and spiritual walk with Christ 
to be an elder over the people of God. And so as you look at me, don't look at somebody perfect. We'll talk more about the qualifications next week. But I hope you see somebody who wants to be like Jesus and somebody who wants to help you to live and to love like Jesus. And so an elder is somebody who is spiritually mature. Uh, secondly, in a word that's actually used uh, completely synonymous is the word overseer. If you have your Bible in Titus 1, notice Titus 1 and verse 5, we just, we were looking at it. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might uh, put what remained into order and appoint what? Elders, elders. Now slip on down to verse 7. He's still talking about elders. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He used those two terms completely interchangeably. He could have started off by saying, I want you to appoint overseers. And then an elder should be blameless. So these terms in the scriptures are used of the same person, the same position, and they're used synonymously. Oh, bingo. And so it speaks of the responsibility of the primary church leadership, the responsibility. Um, again, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. I say this is a trustworthy saying. If anyone desires the office of an overseer, or some translations have bishop, he desires a noble task, a task. And in a very real way, the overseer speaks of the responsibility that belongs to the elder over the people of God. Now, what I want to do is just kind of read a little bit of a description that Peter gives as to what an elder should be doing for you. Here we go. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Peter said, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those under your charge, but being examples to the flock. And he goes on to talk about Christ will give you a reward as you're a faithful shepherd. And so my responsibility before you is to shepherd you, to watch over your souls, to help you grow in the likeness of Christ. That's my responsibility. Can I ask you a question? Would you help me? Would you help me toward that end? Uh, you can respond a little bit here. I'm getting a little nervous. Would you help me to achieve that in your life? Uh, please, please. Well, let me tell you what, what you just meant when you said yes. Uh, so there's actually some instructions here as to what that really means. It's actually found at the end of the book of Hebrews. Listen, if you want to unburden me, if you want to make this a joy for all of us, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. You only want your spiritual well-being. As those who will have to give an account, I have to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for every single person that's under my my shepherding. Please help me. 
Let them do it with joy <laughs> and not with groaning. Oh, here we go again. For that would be of no advantage to you. So help me in this endeavor of shepherding you and pastoring you. Again, the writer of Hebrews, knowing that submission to authority is often resisted and even resented, even amongst the children of God, had to encourage them at the close of the letter, don't make this hard on your shepherd. Work with him, because he only has good intentions for you. And that's my desire for you, is only God's best in your life. So let's work this together uh, for God's glory uh, in our midst. So, an elder speaks of his spiritual maturity, somebody who is not perfect, but somebody who has been seasoned in the walk of Christ. An overseer speaks to his responsibility. He is one who has oversight of the souls and spiritual well-being of the people under his care. And then thirdly, this is another term that's used in conjunction with these previous two, and it is the term pastor-teacher. Pastor, teacher. Now, this comes from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, where it says this, And he, Jesus, gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Or, those last two can be actually linked together in, in one entity, pastor, teachers, together as one term. And so, this speaks of the heart and of the ministry of the overseer or the elder of the church. Speaks of my ministry. Pastor is one of heart, the heart of a true shepherd. Jesus said, I am the true shepherd, and the true shepherd gives his life for the church. Gives his life for the church. Sacrifice, 24-7. I've gotten some of those late, late night calls. It's never good when it happens but we're always on, on, on guard, always ready, always there, trying. Bandaging wounds, using the rod of correction, willing to leave the 90 and 9 for the one who has strayed. That's the heart of a pastor. Can I just say, um, with reference to this, I, I guess I can because I'm speaking, so I can say anything I want, right? Um, I never wanted this. Let me just be frank with you. Uh, I never intended to be in pastoral ministry. I never desired to be in front of people. I never desired to lead people. This was something I never intended. But as I walked with the Lord, asking to, to help me obey his will in my life, the doors kept opening down this pathway until finally I had to say, okay, you seem to know what you're doing, but you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. Of course, he's God, he knows. And so he led me into pastoral ministry. I came in grudgingly, but now I serve joyfully. This is now something that I know God has put in my life because I didn't want it. It's on him. But I love what I do, and I love to shepherd and help and encourage and enable and, and instruct you. So this is the heart of the pastor. And the primary tool used in this ministry is this thing called the Word of God. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 12 says this, The goal of a shepherd, a pastor-teacher, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. 
My goal in your lives is simply this, to help you to live and to love like Jesus. That's my goal. Paul said that it was his, his, his conviction before God was to present all people mature in Christ. And so this is what the primary church leadership is. He is a elder, spiritually mature, growing, not perfect. Somebody who has responsibility, enormous responsibility. And someone who is a pastor teacher. It talks about the heart and the ministry of the word in the lives of the people of God. So there is the beginning of this term elder. Primary church leadership. But the word presbyteros has more than just that in it. It also has the idea, if you will, of the plurality of primary church leadership. You see, the word elders is indeed in the plural. Presbyteros is in the plural. So while the case could be made that there are many churches in each city, notice what he said, and I want you to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. You could say, well, there were multiple churches in these towns, so he's saying merely put an elder in each one of those churches, when in fact what I think he's saying, and I have other scripture here to back it up, what he's saying is in every church put a multiplicity of elders or more than one elder. So it seems to be the pattern of God to not have just one guy lead his people, but it actually be a team that leads over the people of God. And so let me give you some other scriptures to affirm this idea of the plurality of primary church leadership. And uh, we can look here in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. It says, and when they had appointed, what's the word? Say it with me, elders, plural, for them in every church. Notice, church, elders, plural, singular. Another one, oops, there we go. From, uh, from uh, Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And again, a plurality of elders from the church, a church. So again, it seems to be a plurality of primary church leadership. Okay, here's a couple more. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, there's that term that's synonymous with elders, plural, and deacons. So the church in Philippi had overseers and deacons. And then I love this one from James. It just makes simple sense. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. So wherever you see the church, the original intent and plan as they were installing leadership in the church was that it would be elders who had the responsibility of oversight and they would be shepherd teachers, and there would be more than one of them. Now think about this. Why more than one? Because it's a big responsibility for one guy. Much better to bear the responsibility with a plurality of people. Think about the wisdom that's contained in, in a group of people who are spiritually mature as opposed to one person. Now I've been in Baptist churches much of my life, and the Baptist church has the elder. It's a senior pastor. And he's kind of like the Baptist Pope. You know what I'm saying? Whatever he says goes, man. He's the dude because he's been to the mountain. He's seen God. He's gotten the word. He's come back and he's laid it out. We better do what the, Pope or the, uh, the pastor says. And, and that's a little dangerous. Wouldn't you much rather have a group of godly men who are making decisions and then shared with you what God is leading them to do rather than one person? Because we're all fallible. 
oh my goodness, there's wisdom in a, in a uh, group of counselors rather than a single person. There's also diversity of gifting. I have certain strengths. Other people have certain strengths. And if you can bring them together, it makes a strong group of leaders. Iron to sharpen iron, and it is shepherds shepherding each other rather than one lone guy at the top trying to make it all work. And so in a lot of ways, it makes perfect sense that there is meant to be a plurality of elders as the primary church leadership in the church. Okay, how much more can you squeeze out of this word, Pastor Bill? Well, I can get more yet. Hang in there. Here we go. It not only refers to a plurality of primary church leadership, but it also, this word, presbyteros, refers to the plurality of male primary church leadership. Did I just feel the heat in the room go up just a little bit? Oh my, Pastor Bill said that out loud. You can't say that today. Well, let me just put it this way. The word presbyteros is in the masculine. And it's always used that way when it refers to primary church leadership. Whether it's the position of elder, overseer, or pastor. And in our day and age right now, this is where things become extremely challenging. Because we live in a day of relatively militant feminism, in a day of absolute gender disorder. People don't know what is what and who does what and what makes sense. And can I say that part of the problem comes from an inability to understand the Word of God. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But in a society like ours, even to intimate that there might be a role or a position based upon a gender distinction is not only absurd in most people's minds, but it's downright wrong if it's not evil. That's how it's perceived today. And one man who has been the recent attack of this is a man by the name of Tim Keller. Anybody heard of Tim Keller? I use him here periodically. He just stepped down from his Presbyterian church in New York City. He's, he started it many years ago. He's, he's got it up and running. It's a mega church. It's reaching many people in New York City. But he's now, as a New Yorker, going to retire to Florida. It always seems to happen that way, doesn't it? So he's going to go to Florida, and he's going to teach in seminary down there, and he's going to do a lot of speaking and writing of various materials and books. So Tim Keller has recently been given an award, or maybe I should say he's been given an award, but they've taken it back. Thursday this week, this headline kind of hit things. Oh, okay, there we go. This headline kind of made its way out there. Princeton Theological Seminary reverses decision to honor Redeemer's Tim Keller. And let me explain why. You see, Tim Keller was to be awarded the annual Kuiper Prize for Excellence in Reformed Theology and Public Witness. And quite frankly, I couldn't think of somebody who would be better under that title uh, than, than Keller. However, he's not going to get the award anymore. You see, Keller belongs to the Presbyterian Church in America, or PCA, which is the more conservative wing of the United States Presbyterianism. And he, therefore, does not permit the ordination of women or people from the LGBTQ community. Princeton Seminary, quite frankly, one of the oldest educational institutions in America, is of the more liberal Presbyterian Church USA, or PCUSA. 
So what has happened is this. Keller is a Presbyterian. Um, Princeton Seminary is a seminary that turns out Presbyterian pastors, just not of his ilk. They're much more liberal. And so it became a real problem when this liberal seminary said they were going to give the Kuiper Prize to a conservative Presbyterian. A lot of people started to get very upset with this. And so one of the people that, that spoke or wrote the seminary and said they weren't in favor of this was a woman by the name of Reverend Tracy Smith. She's a seminary alum and currently a PCA pastor, PCUSA pastor in uh, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, she said this, my personal soapbox boils down to this. An institution designed to train men and women for ministry shouldn't be awarding fancy prizes to someone who believes that half the student body, or is it more than half now, has no business leading churches. It's offensive. And as I have taught my four- and five-year-olds to express, this hurts my feelings. So she was very upset. And the seminary there received her words. But these weren't the only ones. I mean, there was a whole bunch of people who, who really went after the leadership there at the seminary. Um, there's a, a, a periodical called Christian Century, and it's a flagship magazine for the PCUSA. One of the authors in that is a woman by the name of Carol Howard Merritt. She was much more frank in her dislike of this idea. She goes, I am literally shaking with grief as I write this. I have spent years with women who have tried to deprogram themselves after growing up in this baptized abuse. In these difficult days when our president says that women's gentilia is up for grabs by any man with power and influence, I hope that my denomination would stand up for women, loud and clear, instead of honoring and celebrating a man who has championed toxic theology for decades. All that to say, to say that the plurality of leadership in the church is to be male in this day and age is to invite a lot of anger. So, what's the problem? What's going on here? Why do people hold these, these thoughts? Where do they come from? Well, let me do my best in just the next few moments to touch on it. We can't go in depth, but let me just touch on it. You see, this boils down to how you understand and interpret Scripture. It is the egalitarian versus the complementarian understanding of roles and, and gender in the Bible. So, the, on the egalitarian side are, is this... Uh, definition. Egalitarians believe that there are no gender distinctions and that since we are all one in Christ, women and men are interchangeable when it comes to the function of roles in the church leadership and in the household. Notice that, in the church and in the house. Didn't say in government or in the business world, but when it comes to the issue of the church and the house, this is what God instituted. These are things that God has the right to tell how he wants them to function. And so in the egalitarian viewpoint, a couple of the scriptures they like to use, first one comes after the fall into sin. It's in Genesis 3.16. To the woman, the Lord said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And so they take this to mean that up until this point, the headship of the man was an unknown thing, that they were purely just equals prior to the fall in the garden. And so his, he shall rule over you is their understanding of that. So 
Moving a little further, after Jesus Christ came and died, they tag on this verse to solidify their position. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, notice that, for they are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, the challenge with what they're trying to say is this. Is it true that there was no headship prior to the fall? And is this verse basically saying that people are in full equality in functions of life? Because that's actually connected to a portion of Scripture talking about salvation, not about functions in the home or in the church. So that's the egalitarian point of view. Now, the com complementarian point of view uh, goes like this. Complementarians believe in the essential equality of men and women as persons, i.e., created in God's image, equal in salvation and access to God in Christ. But complementarians hold to a gender distinction when it comes to the functional roles, again, in the church and in the home, not in the business world or the political world. And so the question becomes, who gets to determine what this is meant to look like? You've heard the egalitarian side. Here's some of the complementarian positions. It begins with creation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Adam and Eve, in the original creation, were each image bearers in and of themselves. And together, in the wisdom and plan of God, they were to reflect the glory of God in a way that one could not do alone. Made equal in the image of God, men and women are designed to reflect His glory in uniquely masculine and uniquely feminine ways. Genesis chapter 2. Now, this is all pre-fall. Genesis chapter 2. And then the Lord said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a, what's the word? Helper, fit for him. A lot of ladies hate that word. A helper? A helper. What, what did you call me? A helper? Well, the word helper is actually used of God himself 16 times in the Bible, so don't be put off by that word. Uh, what he's saying here is, God is doing, he, he is making one who is compatible and one who can complement Adam. Hence, men and women complement one another. They are not merely interchangeable or redundant. That's important. And in the wisdom of God, man was given the ultimate responsibility to lead the relationship. We see this in the order of creation. Man was created first and then Eve. Woman was made from the side of man. Adam was given the right to name Eve, Eve, and in naming shows authority. And then the name of the human race is man, not woman. These are just a few of the ways Genesis reveals gender differences and responsibilities even prior to the fall into sin. So what we have here are two very competing ideas. Do you know what a Venn diagram is? A Venn diagram is where you take circles and kind of lay them over each other to try to understand uh, relationships. Let me give you a Venn diagram for each of these positions, and then let me explain how I believe uh, they should be. So here's the egalitarian Venn diagram. Ready? There you go. There is absolute 
succinctness. They are absolutely overlaying one another. This is man, this is woman, and there is no distinction at all between the two based upon the egalitarian argument. So basically, either man or woman can do anything which ultimately makes one or bo- one of them redundant and thus not necessary. So this is what we have going on in our culture today. We have people who are absolutely, they have no idea why they're on earth and what they're supposed to do. We have men who are now women and women who are men because it doesn't really matter because they can do exactly the same things. There's no distinctions. This is actually causing a lot of the gender confusion that's going on in our society. We have said there is no difference. So it doesn't really matter. You can be either or, and you don't really need a husband, ladies, to raise your family. You're probably better off without him because he's just redundant. Or he's just dumb, whatever he is. I don't know. And, and so this is the challenge today. Can I just say, I'm all for the empowerment of women. Let me just say that. I am all for the empowerment of women. I mean, I grew up with a mother and three sisters. I had no brothers. I have a wife and I have a daughter. I'm all for the empowerment of women. I mean, if I see one more Disney movie with that, with that theme, I'll choke on it, okay? It's everywhere. But what I'm not in favor of is the emasculation of men. We have made men less than men. You now have to be a woman. And women can be men. And and somewhere we meet in the middle and one of us isn't necessary. And so there's a lot of empowered women and a lot of wimpy guys. I'm sorry if you're single here today and you're a guy. I'm I'm just, I love you. I love you. I had had a a meal the other day. Oh, gosh, Bill. I had a meal the other day with my sister and uh, when I went to visit my mother a couple weeks ago. My sister's birthday, she has two daughters, my nieces. They're both in their 40s, almost 40. They both married men in their late 50s. And I said to my sister, I said, why did they marry guys so much older? She goes, because all the guys their age were kids. And I thought, how? That's a challenge. You see, this is redundant, and therefore, it's just not, there's no beauty in this. But this is the complementarian Venn diagram. And it's, it's beautiful because we are b- both the image of God. And there is distinction, and indeed there's overlap. But there are ways that my wife can show the beauty of God in ways that I can't. And there are ways that I can show some of the attributes and perfections of God in ways she can't. But together we have a greater chance to show the multifaceted beauty of our God. This was God's intent. His intent was that women and men be different. We are cellular. At every cell of our bodies, we're different. But in our society, they say, no, no, you can't do that. In our society. Well, I'm sorry. God said this is the way it is. And so this is the challenge of our day. When it comes to the issue of the church and when it comes to the issue of the home, you cannot get beyond the reality that God established them. And if God made them and they're not ours, then we don't have the right to do whatever we want with them. We have to come under his teaching and his authority about them. That's how human flourishing happens. That's how people become all they're meant to be. It's when we walk in the fullness of God's truth together. So this is the teaching, I think, of Scripture, that that's the intent that God had. Now let me give you one more Venn diagram, and then we'll finish with this. So here we have this this basic understanding of of females and males. There is overlap, but there's distinction. 
let me show you how this is meant to inform this. Does that look familiar? This is a symbol called the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. See, God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not God the Father. There's overlap in function, but they are one. Ah, so this is God the Son, and this is God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Son, and God the Son is not the Holy Spirit. There's overlap in their function, but they are one. Ah, so this is the Holy Spirit, and this is the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. There's overlap in their function, but they are one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and there's only one God. Different and yet one. That describes the beauty God wants to see in the home and in the church. That's his intent. All right, let me, uh, let me do this. I don't want to do that, but I have to. I just want to end with this. Everything, everything rises and falls on leadership. We're going to talk more about what that means in the life of the church. So we talk about the possibility of a plurality of elders being in the life of Grace Church. Right now we have a church council has served this church very well for over 35 years. Our goal is to move towards a little bit more of a biblical framework and to name the offices what they are and then use the criterion in order to uh, uh, verify those in those positions. So we're going to talk more about that next week. But I, I just want to close with this thought about the home. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord Jesus Christ. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There is the perfect picture of a home. It is the husband, the loving leader. All leadership is based upon servants, service, taking the lowest place and loving well. And then wives are called to submit to that. And hence the man leads the relationship, the wife is, is there as the helper, complementing and making that relationship beautiful as it fosters the glory of the multifaceted God that we serve. Can I just say, this is very unpopular today, and yet it is what the Bible has to say. So may we move forward with a sense of humility, search the Scriptures, if you want to have complete human flourishing, you want to be under God's design, because that's how it happens. Let me pray for us, and we'll be done this morning. Father, um, we live in a very confused world where um, people don't know what's what. All they see is they're supposed to do this, they're supposed to do that. Everybody has a contradictory voice in their life, and people are just really confused. Thank you that in your wisdom, you have actually established structure. You've actually established leadership in the institution of the church and in the home. And Father, when we get this right, it's gorgeous, absolutely beautiful. Where we get this wrong is where a lot of pain and suffering, hurt and abuse happens. Please, oh God, 
Speak to each of us where we're at and help us to take that next step towards wholeness and beauty, I pray. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen. God bless you. Have an incredible week. Functified. Come on. About to do it like this, about to do it like this, y'all. Mm-hmm.